And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It being Thursday, that means your turn. It also means the random renter. then in Halifax today had a wonderful meeting last night with a number of Haligonians who came to the public library in Halifax to uh, to chat about my book off the record to ask questions about the state of the media just to basically converse on some of the issues of the day and it was a great a great evening wonderful to meet and um, the other thing that really is quite marvelous is the Halifax Public Library. You've probably heard about it. It got a lot of play in when it opened a couple of years ago. This was the first time I got a chance to go inside. And once you've been there, you know what all the fuss is about. It's a great structure. And, of course, it's a library, uh, which makes it all that much more important to the people of the city, but beyond. Here's a fun fact for you. One of the stops that's made by the various cruise lines that come into Halifax Harbor, and there's lots to see in this city. But one of the stops that they have put into their schedule is a visit to the Halifax Public Library. I don't know how that often that happens. Uh, cruise ships around the world, when they go and visit various cities in different countries, how often it is that they actually stop at a public library. Well, they do here in Halifax, and and it's understandable uh, once you've been there to visit. Um, just to let you know where I am once again, um, not only in Halifax, but I'm in my hotel room uh, doing the podcast from here as I travel. I'm off uh, later today to Charlottetown, uh, and we'll be doing good talk from Charlottetown tomorrow. But I need to explain that because... I know the the sound is a little, the audio is a little different. I'm not I'm, I'm not in a studio. In fact, you'd get a kick out of seeing where and how I'm doing this. I'm trying to baffle some of the sound a little bit. I've got and this is one of those hotels that gives you an ironing board in each in each room hanging in the closet. Well, I've got it out of because it's kind of got padding on it. I've got it, you know, beside me to try and, you know. <laughs> to, to try to baffle the sound, the hollow um, sound of the uh, the room here. Anyway, nevertheless, um, today is uh, Thursday. It, that means your turn, your opportunity to weigh in with your thoughts. And I got to say, there have been a lot of letters. I guess you've been sort of <laughs> waiting up all summer to write your uh, uh, emails about whatever issues we're talking about on on the bridge, and uh, you certainly um, delivered this week. I got lots of letters. Now, a couple of warnings. One, many of you are forgetting to play. tell me where you're writing from, and it really does help give the full picture of your thoughts and your comments to have some idea what part of the country you're writing from. So please remember to include that. Also, Man, a lot of you are uh, writing long letters <laughs> these days. you got a lot on your mind. Um, so let me just remind you that we're, um, you know, I, I cut these down. I just take elements from each letter. 
um, and I don't read the the full letter on the air. I read the full letter uh, when they come in, but I only read uh, excerpts on the air, especially in letters where you're dealing with eight, eight different subjects, right? Um, so I try to isolate one. So uh, let's get at it. Uh, we'll also hear from the random ranter again. Remember, the random ranter uh, is anonymous. And the only hint I give you as to where this ranter is coming from uh, is there in Western Canada. Somewhere, and I'm no more specific than that, somewhere between Thunder Bay and Victoria. And they represent their own views, not necessarily their regions. Um, but I get a kick out of uh, hearing the random ranter, and if there's any uh, indication from you, it is extremely positive. Um, I don't know, had uh, a dozen or more uh, emails about the, the ranter from last week's um, rant, which was mainly about Justin Trudeau. The um, people loved it, and they people, it didn't matter where they were from in the country. They just thought it was great. So we'll keep it going. He's just a guy. He's just an ordinary guy. He's not a broadcaster. Just a guy. All right, let's get to the mail. Um, and because I'm, usually what I do with the mail is I print, I know this could be considered a waste of paper, but I print the letters up uh, when I'm in Stratford or Toronto, and then I can you know, put them in some kind of order. Um, I don't have a printer here in my room. I don't want to bother the front desk with, you know, doing reams of papers. Um, so I'm just, I'm just reading from my laptop. They're in no particular order. I haven't bunched subjects together. i just just going to read them as they go. Um, so let's get started. Enough babbling, Peter. Luke Sarnecki writes, I'd like to thank you and your team for continuing to cover the war in Ukraine. Prior to Ukraine's successful counteroffensive this week, the media had noticeably shifted its coverage away from the conflict, perhaps because the public had grown increasingly disinterested, apathetic, or otherwise fatigued with the media's coverage of the war. I very much appreciate that you continue to cover the conflict, regardless of whether or not there is a headline-grabbing development in the news, be that the horrors of Bucha or the promising developments in Ukraine's southern counteroffensive. So long as the war rages, the media has a responsibility to remind Canadians of the sacrifices Ukrainians are making on behalf of Western democratic values. All right, good point, Luke. And, um, and I think you're, you're obviously referring to uh, Tuesday's uh, podcast with Brian Stewart. And Brian uh, has been delivering on the Ukraine story for us every Tuesday, um, almost since it all started. Uh, earlier this year in, uh, in late February, and we appreciate that, and obviously so do uh, uh, many of you, including Lucas Sarnacki. Uh, Malcolm Campbell writes from Kinnesota, Manitoba. Your accusation that there is rot in the judicial system is most likely very true with varying degrees of gradation. Uh, I made that comment uh, yesterday, I guess, on Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth with Bruce Anderson. And I was talking about the American judicial system when I said that. Um, back to Malcolm's letter. However, the same indictment can be charged to today's legacy media and journalists. 
If the Hunter Biden laptop was instead the Donald Trump Jr. laptop, the New York Times would have been playing trumpets instead of burying the story. They've admitted to deliberately suppressing the story until post-election. That's true. That's all true. As you can see, the notion that the pursuit of truth is the highest ideal in journalism is subject to the interests and agendas of those with influence. This is why irritations, which we talked about yesterday, become effective political rhetoric. There's nothing more infuriating than being blatantly manipulated by today's journalism to aid what is already considerable consolidated power. All right, Malcolm. Um, you know, I can argue with you. Uh, there's no doubt that the, um, uh, there are issues around the, the Biden laptop uh, story, the Hunter Biden laptop. I didn't know Hunter was actually running for political office, but nevertheless, uh, I hear your point and um, we'll, um, we'll keep it in mind. Uh, I think, you know, painting the whole legacy media uh, in that uh, way is overgeneralization. Are there issues? Are there issues about the media and trust? Absolutely there are. But I'd be specific, as you were on that particular story, uh, but painting everybody the same, with the same brush, I think, is, is unfair. Um, Gareth Wilson. Uh, does Gareth, where is he right? Bowmanville, Ontario. I write about Her Majesty and my growing frustration by our nation's response. Now, as a 52-year-old man, I didn't believe I was much of a monarchist. However, her death affected me more than I thought it would. And watching the flippant response of our elected officials gave me great pause, especially when our PM declared September 19th a national day of mourning, only to watch many provincial governments, I believe, show a level of disrespect that made me feel embarrassed to be a Canadian living in a constitutional monarchy. Um, basically, uh, what uh, Gareth is upset about is so many in uh, provincial uh, governments and including his in Ontario, um, did not duplicate the national federal government response in asking for um, a full day of uh, holiday, declaring it a national holiday, uh, instead of looking for one minute of silence uh, at um, a certain point in the day. That's what they do in Israel, but they actually really do it. I've been there during that day. Um, and when everything stops, literally everything stops, traffic on the roads stops, cars stop in the middle of the road, people get out and stand. Um, I've never seen that happen here. Code Clements writes from, um, where's Code? He's in uh, Cherry Grove, Alberta. He talks about a dozen different things. Here's one of them. The Thomas Sadowski interview. That was on Monday, a special interview. If you didn't hear it, you should. It's great. Thomas is um, he's an actor. Stage, screen, television, movies, you name it. Um, Well-known. If you see him, you'll recognize him. You may not know the name. Anyway, the Tom, uh, Thomas Sadowski interview struck a nerve with me. You and he asked the question, have we become immune by overexposure to our world crises, disasters, wars, conflicts, but especially the challenges hundreds of millions face every day just trying to stay alive? 
I believe we have. And what wasn't said was racism. Ukrainians are white, the rest one color or another. A great interview, thanks. Um, Aaron Conser from, uh, we've heard from Aaron before, Sherwood Park, Alberta. It's so good to listen to your podcast again. I'm glad that you seem to have recovered well from your bout of COVID. Yeah, I did. I had COVID in July. And that you had an enjoyable summer break. I just wanted to let you know that I love your new addition to your Thursday episode. There's something about listening to someone convey their own opinions directly that seems to help carry the weight of their words in a different way with the nuance they in, uh, intended. That, of course, is... Um, the Random Ranter, who will be coming up in, uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, The Random Ranter for this week. Um, now, Erin isn't full of plaudits. She does, she, <laughs> she's not sure she likes the music, the little, you know, sound bite of music that introduces and extras The Random Ranter, but I had a, actually a couple of notes on that. And people saying, no, 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 they don't like that music. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. Anne-Marie Klein. I was in New York City, and it made me cry to learn the Queen had passed away, which stunned my local hosts and took me off guard as well, though I've always felt connected to her as she was born in the same year as my father was. I think you touched on something deeply when you said how we all felt she was ours, wherever we were in the Commonwealth and beyond. I hope you get letters from many listeners expressing how she affected them, as it was probably not far from what the effect was in Scotland. Thanks for the reply. There will be huge ripples from her passing. Look, there are mixed feelings, as you will hear, about the Queen um, and the amount of attention she's been receiving in the, since her passing last week. Um, but I tend to agree with you, Anne and Marie. Uh, Ian Gorman uh, writes from Ottawa. Was Jean Charest humiliated? Maybe, but perhaps he's just a guy who will fight a losing fight for something he believes in, a guy who prefers defeat to surrender. All right. Um, Ian Grant from Halifax, right here in Halifax, where we are today. Um, on last week's Your Turn, you read a letter concerning the perceived downturn in the insect population. If I understood you correctly, you suggested that this is probably the result of seasonal variations from year to year. I believe you are incorrect, and your assumption to be a bit naive. Hey, don't hold back on your criticism of me, okay? Globally, insect populations and diversity are declining from insecticide use, habitat loss, climate change, and pollution. Basically, it is our fault. Recently, I was listening to our local CBC radio call-in show here in Halifax, and the guest was a local biologist, Bob Bancroft. Always loved listening to his comments. He made a statement that really put the insect population decline into perspective. He asked people to think back a decade or more and try to recall taking a road trip through the countryside. Upon returning from a trip like this, the windshield and grill of your car 
would be heavily splattered with a wide variety of bugs and insects that would require a fair bit of elbow grease to remove. Nowadays, as I, uh, I rarely need to hit the wipers to remove the remnants of an insect that unfortunately flew into my path of travel. This is not seasonal variation, but the result of human activity. We rely on insects more than just about any other aspect of biology, and their future does not look good. Regards, Ian. I have no problem with that letter, uh, Ian, with the exception of, you know, I was making a random comment about how each year things tend to be different in the area that I travel to. Um, some here year you hear the frogs much more than you do the next year, but then the following year they're back again, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not a biologist. I don't claim to be a biologist, and I wasn't claiming to have the answer to this question. I'd also challenge you on the bugs on the, the windshield because I still get them where I drive. Lots of them. Um, but nevertheless, I don't disagree with the thrust, and I certainly stand back uh, to allow Bob Bancroft, who clearly uh, sounds like an expert of some kind, um, his say and his explanation of what he thinks is going on. But, you know, <laughs> oh, well, never mind, moving on. Bill Hertha writes from Thornhill, Ontario. Let me say I agree with your assessment of the uh, emergent, kingly character of Charles. I thought his first speech about his mother was stunning. I wish him well and much success. I worked as a volunteer on the Jean Charest campaign, and needless to say, 16% was disappointing. It's a level of support that positions me as part of the party's fringe. But if I interpret Bruce's comments and thoughts correctly, I suspect we are two cheeks on the same rump. I've never heard that expression before, and that makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, James Goggin, uh, I think that's what it is. James Goggin writes, You're never more popular than when you're dead. I agree with you that the wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the Queen's death was nauseating. I don't think I ever said it was nauseating. I said in some cases it seems a little over the top. All countries have bigger things to worry about than a new king coming to the throne. I believe we should get rid of the monarchy in Canada. It's a weird institution whereby an accident of birth you become head of state because your ancestors killed and had sex with the right people to gain or hold on to power. I'm only 28 years old and I doubt it will happen because it's so embedded in our constitution. I can dream, though, for a referendum one day. If we voted to get rid of the monarchy, all the provinces would have to agree with the will of the people. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. If there was a national referendum, it's quite possible that in some provinces, the vote going to the national referendum would show a, a majority in favor of getting rid of it. It's also true that in some provinces, um, that vote going to the national vote would be on a provincial basis um, against abolishing the monarchy. What would that provincial government do then? So, you know, I don't, th I don't think it's a slam dunk. Um, but nevertheless, <laughs> as I was saying earlier, not everybody has been a big fan of the, uh, of the story. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Prosser 
from Bracebridge, Ontario. I so appreciated your words about King Charles today, watching how composed and dignified he's been since his mother's death. His taking time to speak to and grieve with people, his well-thought-out and compassionate speeches to both the country and the Scottish Parliament, in my opinion, really show how he's growing into his new role as monarch. I wish him well. Um, Sheena Petura Greaves Felt compelled to drop you a quick email expressing my support for your new Random Ranter segment. I appreciate hearing the Western viewpoint from someone well-spoken who isn't an anti-mandate, anti-vax, freedom convoy supporter. As a Westerner who grew up on a farm and still works in the agriculture industry and also counts myself as a socially conscious yet fiscally conservative voter, I'm troubled by the widening division between Eastern and Western Canadians and by right, left, and centrist voters. I can't stomach Pierre Polyev, and I'm completely done with Justin Trudeau. I can't be the only Canadian that feels I have no options in our next federal election. There are other options, but I hear what you're saying. I can't be the only Canadian. Uh, keep the random ranter segments. I'll be listening. Well, keep listening then, because the random ranter for this Thursday uh, is coming up in just a few moments. Barb Demeray writes from Vancouver. On Friday, I was on a 10-hour flight flying back to Vancouver from Paris and decided to catch up on the latest episodes of The Bridge, so popped in my earbuds. Your admission to buying from <laughs> the My Pillow guy had me in hysterics. You quickly redeemed yourself by saying you'd bought the pillow 10 years ago, and when you said it sucked, was now deep in the landfills of Stratford, I laughed even more. My fellow passengers, of course, had no clue what I was laughing uh, so hard about, but I'm sure some were curious. The lead-up to the story was hilarious, too. Thanks so much for the comic relief. I can, I can remember about 20 years ago being on a plane, um, you know, on a, it was either a trans-country flight or it was across the Atlantic, and I was watching a movie. My favorite funny movie, Money Pit with Tom Hanks. Don't know whether you've seen it, but there are a couple of scenes in it that make me cry. I laugh so hard. And that was happening to me on the plane. I, I was just, it was probably the 20th time I've seen the movie, but I was laughing so hard. Uh, and my fellow passengers uh, were, were not comfortable, I would say. <laughs> with the racket coming from Mansbridge. Um, Sean Aiken from Whitby, Ontario. You asked, what did I learn about Canada this summer? My family immigrated to Canada in the 70s from beautiful Cornwall, England. I didn't see my first snowfall and made my first snowball until grade three. Since then, I've traveled the world, spending extended time in Indonesia while my dad was on business there in the 80s. I've driven across Canada, camped in every province except Newfoundland and Labrador. Do it. It's something you won't forget. Plus, extensively in the U.S. This summer has taught me how blessed a country we have and how lucky we are to be living in bounteous North America. My British family and Europe 
as a whole is struggling with inflation and shocking energy prices. The fear of Russian aggression and a difficult winter ahead can only be imagined. Yet Canadians are relatively well buffered from this geography, abundant natural resources and their proximity to the USA. I hope other Canadians recognize this also. I've thought what my life would have been like had my parents not left Britain. Now more than ever, I see they did the right thing. Um, who we got here? Jason Craig from Conqueror Mills in Nova Scotia. That's, um, that's in Bridgewater. Never heard of that. Conqueror Mills. Uh, Jason writes a really long letter, so I'm just going to read a couple of sentences. The single biggest reason I write today as an avid consumer of media and podcasts covering a lot of Canadian and international politics, culture, and society is to ask for a deeper dive into what is behind the curtain, so to speak, regarding the dichotomy of what we encounter in person and what we find online. I take a lot of pride in being a moderate or centrist in my viewpoints, and I try to employ the philosophical concept of charity in any debate or dialogue with folks I encounter. I also try my best to employ empathy when pondering how some people find themselves holding the positions or viewpoints they do. I think that used to be much more common in our collective Canadian experience. I'm only 44, but I certainly remember a different era. Thanks, Jason. I'm going to think about that. Think about a way of trying to get at what you're talking about. Michelle Bradley Ames, Amis, not sure how we say that. Um, Michelle writes, my husband and I have just returned from a trip to the Finger Lakes in New York. We had to make a pit stop in Kingston on our way back to London, Ontario to help our son Bradley settle in for his second year at Queen's University, which of course is in Kingston. To our delight, we discover a car ferry, the William Durrell, that takes you from Cape Vincent, New York, across to Wolf Island. We learned the ferry was a Canadian boat owned by a gentleman whose mother is from Sparta. The three-minute crossing was easy. Canadian customs were terrific. We discovered how big Wolf Island is and that 2,300 people live on the island year-round. It was a great way to come home. Avoiding the 401 as much as we can is the best thing. I've never heard about that little uh, ferry, but uh, it sounds like one if you're in that area that might uh, might be fun to add to your experiences. Uh, Sean Hogan. Where's Sean writing from? Doesn't say. Um, among other things, Sean writes... I really enjoyed your Brian Stewart segment again, and almost, if not more, the way you ended with those newsy factual trivia, we call it end bits, such as the results of studies on steps in a day, potentially lessening dementia, how to get a better sleep, and other health info. You know, I, I accumulate a lot of stuff here. Um, you know, you sometimes you think of it as fillers, um, but I often don't get a chance to use them. So every once in a while, I like to like devote, you know, five, ten, 
12 minutes to end bits, little bits of useful information. And that was the idea behind that. Dan Prue writes from Kitchener, Ontario. Um, Reese steps in dementia. I think it's always worth remembering that uh, observational studies look for associations, in this case between participants and outcome. And the results of these studies are hypothesis. <laughs> Excuse me. And the results of these studies are hypotheses <laughs> that require further studies. I love reminding folks that correlations are not causations. Phew. Now, see what I mean how you can pack a lot into a couple of sentences? Dan does that. And he uses big words to make his point. And I appreciate that, although I can't pronounce them. Um, we're going to take a little break. It's time for a break. Well, I study those words some more. But there's lots more, lots more of your letters and the random ranters still to come. So don't go far. We'll be right back. This is The Bridge. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. As we always say, no matter where you're listening from, we welcome you to The Bridge. It's the Thursday edition. That means it's your turn, your thoughts and ideas, questions you might have on the issues of the day. Uh, the Random Ranter is coming up in just a few minutes. Let's get back to your, uh, your comments. Nancy Kumpf uh, writes, and Nancy's writing from Havelock. No, that's not, that's not Nancy. Nancy's writing from Sarnia, Ontario. Hi, Peter, longtime listener of The National. Love the podcast. Just have a couple of things I wanted to mention regarding Pierre Polyev and his attempt to make a statement to the press. I had read that Polyev was not taking any questions. I would imagine the journalists that finally broke through, no doubt due to frustration, caused Polyev to concede and to take two questions. The other thing I thought might happen going forward is Mr. Polyev may not be worth covering and ultimately not allowing Polyev to attack the press as a positive consequence. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the answer. He is the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. And... Uh, and, and we should always cover him. We don't necessarily have to give that um, coverage uh, expanded uh, reporting depending on its value and its worth. But we should always be around when he makes a public appearance to hear what he has to say. Um, I don't know whether he was ever planning to take questions or whether he was just going to give a statement or a media availability, he calls it. But uh, what's clear is that didn't work out for anybody. It didn't work out for the media. It didn't work out for him. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, a day everybody's hopeful to forget. Um, Jennifer Wilson writes from Havelock, Ontario. 
I'm ashamed to be living in Ontario. As part of the Commonwealth, I had assumed as a mark of respect that Monday, this coming Monday, would have been a day of mourning when families would gather to observe the funeral of our beloved Queen. The Prime Minister has declared Monday a day of mourning, but only for federal workers. If there was ever an opportunity to unite our country, it would have been to make this day a day that everyone could observe. The Queen's love for Canada was well known, having visited us more than anywhere. So this just seems like a slap to this transplanted Ulster woman. Uh, Kate Weir writes, Hi Peter, I'm really enjoying your podcast. Thank you and your entire team so much for keeping us informed with more discussions and background. I'm trying to understand more about what others are thinking, especially now that Polyev won the uh, Conservative leadership. I know many felt their freedoms were curtailed too strongly and for too long last summer. I can understand a small bit of that hearing, that friends were worried about their mental health of others who suffered in lockdown, but I've been unable to hear how the vulnerable would have been protected without the mandates. When I hear Polyev promising no more mandates, I again wonder what the plan is to protect those with various health issues who are more vulnerable in a pandemic. These are smart people. They must have a plan. Why am I not hearing it? I think many of us would have been a bit more open to the thoughts of the Freedom Convoy's supporters if we had heard more of the bigger plan. Hopefully they had one. Well, some of them wanted to bring down the government. Literally bring down the government. Um, Hopefully they were not just upset at what they had lost. And I don't want to downplay what some had lost. But when trying to balance issues in the big picture, what would their plan be? Good question, Kate. Kate Weir writes from Nelson, B.C. Um, you know, I think, I think this may be the spot. I haven't finished the letters. There's still a couple more letters to go. Uh, but this may be the best spot for the random ranter because it kind of picks up on this whole mandate issue. You ready? I'm ready. Are you all ready? Are you sitting there? anxiously waiting to hear what the random ranter has to say today. Well, here you go. This week's edition of The Random Ranter. Call me crazy, but I don't get the whole mandate freedom thing. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty free. I know there are limits on my freedom, but I'm actually pretty thankful for that because it means there are some limits on your freedoms too. Unfettered freedom for all doesn't sound like it would be much fun for anyone. I think freedom needs to come with a side of trust and a willingness to compromise. But tell that to the Mandate Freedom crowd and they'll just lean on their horns some more. The other day I came across a Mandate Freedom rally. Canadian flags everywhere. Honking horns, shouting people. It was a spectacle. Angry people wrapped in Canadian flags, shouting obscenities, and there wasn't even a hockey game going on. But seriously, the flag thing bothers me. Growing up, our flag was always a symbol of something to be proud of, and I always liked how our brand of patriotism was so different from the wrap yourself in the flag and put your blinders on version of American patriotism. There is nothing ignorant about loving our flag, but for the life of me now, I can't look at it the same way. It's wrong, but when I see a car with a Canadian flag flying out the window, or worse, a pickup truck with one mounted in the bed, I feel gross. They've taken a symbol that meant a lot to me 
and they've sullied it. I think if most of the Mandate Freedom crowd was honest, they'd admit they were angry before COVID even happened. And when I look at the crowd of freedom supporters, or never mind the crowd, when I look at some of my friends and even family that are supporters, I'm seeing people who are angry because life has been hard for them, plain and simple, COVID or not. They're working in industries that are undergoing changes, or they hold beliefs that are increasingly at odds with what's acceptable. Life moves fast and people are getting left behind. We can't expect them to feel good about it, but we can't afford to let their anger rule the day either. Look, I'm just a guy. I haven't studied this, but we need to figure this out and we need to do it fast. The problem is we don't have a true national party to figure it out with. There's an urban-rural divide, there's an east-west divide, and there's a whole lot of distrust on all sides. It's a real problem, and it's a problem that some parties are willing to use to fish for votes. I just hope they know they're fishing with dynamite. Here we go, the random ranter. And a reminder that the random ranter is anonymous, just some guy, as he says. Um, and he comes from Western Canada, somewhere between Thunder Bay and Victoria is the way I like to describe it. And um, it's not by accident that, uh, that I picked this random guy from Western Canada because so much of our podcast is based, centered in central Canada, mainly Ontario and Quebec. So, go for it, random ranter. You'll be back. Let me know what you think. Back to the letters, and we got time for a few more. Don Robertson writes, Is the media the enemy? Yes, it sure can be, especially if it doesn't like you, because your opinions do not fit with its own political beliefs. One example is how you and Bruce keep comparing Pierre Polyev to Trump and his extreme American populism. Yes, we do say that Pierre Polyev is using the Trump playbook on some issues. Uh, Back to Don, I don't think they have much in common at all. I've caught glimpses of Polyev once in a while over the years and heard a lot of negative press about him during his leadership campaign. Then I saw his acceptance speech and thought, hey, this guy's human after all. It was a pretty good acceptance speech last Saturday, and I made that comment on Monday. Um... It was unlike many of the other speeches he'd given during the campaign. That, too, is true. Um, Pamela McDermott. Polyev is playing it constantly, creating controversy and confrontation to keep the news feed on himself. I think all politicians use this trick occasionally, but to be using it constantly is exhausting for the electorate and can cause a chasm that is hard to repair. We've all watched our neighbors to the south struggle with just this. It can be interesting to watch Polyev and Trudeau politically duel, but can also dishearten the voter and even be a form of voter suppression. People become so tired of politics, they just shut down and they don't vote. Good point, Pam. Uh, Jay Craig uh, writes from, well, we heard from Jay already before, so he's trying to slip in two letters from Conqueror Mills, Nova Scotia. Um, he obviously, he liked he liked what uh, Bruce and I had to say on Smoke, Mirrors and the Truth, but here's the point that I'll, I'll read. 
your conversation with Brian Stewart was top shelf material as well. It always is. Brian is amazing. He's just incredible. And I'm glad you're appreciating what he has to say. Um, all right. Is this the last one? It is the last one. And it's pretty special. Um, let me try and get this right in my uh, my feed here. <laughs> try, trying to run the control board and the um, and the laptop at the same time. But I, I love this letter. It's from a trucker. Okay, this is uh, uh, from a trucker who's a, a fan of the podcast, listens often. And uh, here's what he has. <laughs> Am I, uh, does it sound like I'm filling time? Oh, I'm filling time. I'm trying desperately to, uh, to pull up this email. Here we go. And it's it, what um, Derek Carroll Marcoux is writing about is that question I tossed out. What did you learn about Canada this year? Well, truckers learn a lot about the country because they're always on the move. Right. And he writes a, a, a very long uh, letter uh, about the various things he's seen this year, um, carrying his shipments back and forth across the country, back and forth across. Well, right here in Nova Scotia, uh, he must live. He doesn't say where he lives, but he must live in um, somewhere between Dartmouth and Oromocto, because it seems like most Friday nights he's, he's on that on that highway but here's his experience and this is what i wanted to talk i really i really like this part he ranks the um state of the trans canada highway across the country and this is really this is really good especially if you're planning long trips holidays with your families here's how Derek says, I rank the province's contributions to our national highway subjectively as follows. One, New Brunswick has 516 kilometers of Trans-Canada Highway that is a four-lane controlled access highway with a speed limit of 110, except for two sections of 100 in Edmonston and Moncton. Currently, it is the only province that has a four-lane highway from one border to the next. Quebec has 620 kilometers of Trans-Canada Highway. About 600 uh, is four-lane controlled access highway with variable speed limits ranging from 60, there are so, slow sections in Montreal, to 110. Currently, the final 25 clicks of four-lane controlled access highway on A85 is under construction, should be completed soon. But Quebec will not move up the list because of the state of things in Montreal. Nova Scotia has 418 clicks of Trans-Canada Highway. 196 of this is four-lane controlled access highway with a speed limit of 110. A further 37 clicks between Stellarton and Attakanish is under construction to upgrade to four-lane. Um, I'm going to cut this down a little bit. The two-lane section from Port Hawkesbury to North Sydney is two lanes that passes through the heart of many communities as in, and, in my opinion, a dangerous stretch of highway for both drivers and bystanders. Saskatchewan, 654 clicks of Trans-Canada Highway. It's all four-lane highway, but it's not all controlled access. 
The highway has many intersections controlled with stop signs or traffic lights, which makes for potentially unsafe access and inefficient stops and starts. Alberta has 566 kilometers of Trans-Canada Highway and is essentially a copy of Saskatchewan, with the exception that the Trans-Canada is routed through Calgary, um, although this section is easily bypassed on a controlled access highway. Manitoba has almost 500 kilometers of Trans-Canada Highway and is like Saskatchewan and Alberta in its design. However, Manitoba narrows to a two-lane highway, which amounts to about 20 kilometers near Ontario. Prince Edward Island is unique. On the New Brunswick side, there are two good two-lane options to get to Cape uh, Germain. I'm taking that drive today, by the way. Uh, then there's the Confederation Bridge, which is not for the faint of heart when there's a gale of wind blowing down the strait. Let's hope that that's not the case today. Once across, there's 40 or so kilometers from Borden to Charlottetown that take the better part of an hour to traverse. Even though there's posted limits of 100 kilometers an hour on some of the, this route, you're playing with fire if you choose to do so at the height of the tourist season. Ontario has two route options, with one being the so-called northern route at 2,100 kilometers and the other being the so-called lake route at 2,118 kilometers, which is a rather beautiful ride. But in any eventuality, Ontario, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Seriously, this is our transnational highway, but your portion is a flipping death trap, especially between Ironpire and North Bay. It's terrible. It's unsafe. It's slow. It's inefficient. You have a total of, and I'm going to be generous here, maybe 350 kilometers, or about 17%, is four-lane controlled access highway. The rest is two-lane death ride. The posted speed for the majority of the ride is 90 kilometers an hour, but guess what? That rule doesn't seem to apply to anyone on that road. Even Quebec has sorted out their reckless, crazy speeders, but not you, Ontario. Well done. I bet the citizens in the north really appreciate this incredible infrastructure. I'm sure it's driving all kinds of economic growth. Not. Terrible, but not so terrible as the last province on this list. However, they have an excuse you do not. Well, that last province on the list is beautiful British Columbia. It has to contend with the incredible power of nature, and for that reason it is last on the list with respect to the state of the Trans-Canada in that province. They're working on it, but they're up against the mountains, and they're big mountains. Yeah, they sure are big. <laughs> uh, I'm running out of time, so you'll have to check your own data on the route. But remember, the Coquihalla is a bypass route and not a part of the Trans-Canada. So Derek concludes, this was a long note, too long, but I wanted to get it out to you before uh, Thursday, before your turn. So it is unedited and not as concise as I would have preferred. Derek, hey, that's my job. I'll do the editing. Don't worry about it. Um, but I really appreciate, I, I think that little snapshot of the Trans-Canada Highway System, because we talk about it in glowing terms sometimes. Oh, we got a highway that stretches right across the country. Well, parts of it are, you know, challenging to say the least, dangerous at times. And getting your take as somebody who drives it constantly in your role as a trucker has been great. It's been wonderful. And it's the kind of little thing that some people will store and keep notes on. 
if they're planning the big family trip, uh, which, listen, a lot of us spend time, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, overseas. You know, I have my little Scotland thing. But I spent a lifetime traveling Canada from every nook and cranny, every corner of the country, partly because of the luck of the draw on my job. But what I appreciate is hearing from people who say, you know, I'm going to take my family. I'm going to take my kids to see Canada. And each summer, we try to find a different place. My friend, Mark Bulgich, I've said this before, did this with his family as they were growing up. They picked a different province or region each summer, and that's where they went, including to the north. I think they went to Whitehorse or Yellowknife or both as well. Um, we got a great country. We got a big country. Lots to see, lots to do, lots to be proud of. Lots of people to meet. And as some of the other letters have suggested, you know, when you do it, you find out, hey, those people in that area are not what I expected because that's not what I've heard. But now that I'm actually witnessing it and meeting the people of this region, I have a far different view of it. So if you get the opportunity, take it. It's well worth it. Um, okay, that's going to wrap it up for this day and this uh, week. Well, it doesn't wrap up the week. It's only Thursday. I'm off to Charlottetown meeting tonight with uh, uh, people who are interested in having a chat. It's a nice uh, kind of open house uh, question and answer session and, you know, book signings. Uh, went very well last night in Halifax. Looking forward to uh, meeting the good people of Prince Edward Island tonight in Charlottetown. Um, but tomorrow morning from Charlottetown, I'll be in another hotel room with this nice kind of sound <laughs> um, talking to Chantel and Bruce on Good Talk. The regular Friday Good Talk is uh, just literally hours away. Uh, so that's it for this day. Really appreciate you joining us. Hope you had uh, uh, some interest in hearing what your fellow Canadians have had to say from coast to coast to coast today. And also uh, the random ranter. I don't know, I love the random ranter. And so far, you seem to love them too. We'll talk. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again in 24 hours. Mm -hmm.